First up tonight, world leaders, past and present, continue to react to the death of Mikhail Gorbachev today. The former Soviet president, the last Soviet president, passed away at the age of 91 in Moscow yesterday. He will be remembered by many as the man who tore down the Iron Curtain. His legacy in Russia, though, remains complex. Praised for ending the Cold War, but not for failing to prevent the collapse of the Soviet Empire. Now, former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney uh, was in power throughout Gorbachev's seven years in power in the Soviet Union, often speaking with the leader and sharing the challenges that he had planned or the changes that he had planned with Canadians. Here he is speaking to Parliament in 1989. President Gorbachev told me, and I quote, that the revolution we have embarked upon is above all a revolution of the mind, of people's mentality. Resistance to change runs deep in the Soviet Union. But in my judgment, there is no viable alternative to Mr. Gorbachev's plan or to Mr. Gorbachev himself. Brian Mulroney speaking back in 1993. Well, certainly few Canadian leaders knew uh, Mikhail Gorbachev as well as Brian Mulroney. And the former prime minister joins me now. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Happy to be with you. I imagine you've been thinking back on your many memories of Mikhail Gorbachev over the last 24 hours. Um, a sad day in many ways. I mean, he was such a prolific figure uh, for so long. I think a lot of us are thinking back to those days now. Um, what did you make of it when you first heard the news that he had passed? Well, I was uh, very sad because he had become a, a friend, a good friend uh, to me and to Canada. And uh, he had accomplished so much. Uh, and he had had his moments of great sadness, as you know. Uh, and so, on the other hand, uh, I I was sad because we were losing a great man who had contributed enormously to the peace and stability of the world. Uh, so, um, yeah, the, he was a, one of the great leaders of uh, the 80s and 90s, and uh, he, he'll, be, he'll be very missed. I was. It had been nearly forty years since you'd first met. I hadn't known the story of when you first met, but I gather it was under uh, fairly uh, unique. It was under unique circumstances uh, in Moscow. Yes, I met him at. Uh, what happened was that I went over to Moscow for the funeral of Chernenko, and um, while there, uh, Gorbachev was chosen uh, as the successor, and. Um, I received, or we received, uh, an invitation uh, to meet with him right after the funeral. And so I went to the Kremlin, and uh, he was there with two of his colleagues, uh, as was I. And uh, we began a chat that lasted for, I guess, 45 minutes out of that first go-around. And I found him uh, very, very chipper, uh, very polite, very respectful, very modern compared to everything that had gone before in the Soviet Union. Yeah, so I was impressed with him. And I, in fact, I, I left there and went back to Canada. And a few days later, went to Quebec City to meet President Reagan for, for the Shamrock Summit. Reagan had not met Gorbachev. He didn't know anything about him, really. So I was able to tell Reagan, I said, you know, Ron, I, I think we finally got fellow in charge of the Soviet Union that we can uh, we can achieve a lot with. He's a different kettle of fish. And I think uh, uh, as our interlocutor, you're going to find that you're able to make great progress with him. 
And Mr. Gorbachev wasn't unfamiliar with Canada either. He'd been here. He, he knew something about this place. He came here when he was Minister of Agriculture in 1983. And uh, Eugene uh, Whalen was, uh, was the Minister of Agriculture then and escorted him to a number of Canadian farms. And subsequently, he told me that uh, he had been extremely impressed with the modernity and with the productivity and the success of the Canadian farm belt of our industry, and that he had planned to model uh, the reorganization of the Soviet agricultural industry along Canadian lines. He was very impressed. He once said to me, you know, Brian, that productivity and that that growth, uh, spectacular growth that you have in in your agricultural industry, do you have that in other industries as well? And I said, yeah, in all of them. They're all basically the same in terms of uh, our need to compete internationally and uh, the steps we have to take to make certain that Canada competes with the United States and uh, with countries around the world. And uh, he, he, he was very impressed with that. He said, I'm going to take a lot of that on and I want to transform uh, the Soviet economy in, sim- in a similar way. As things begin to accelerate, uh, it always felt like from an outsider, from just, you know, a, a student watching it all happen, that things started to happen very quickly. Um, there must have been some concern on on your part as a G7 leader of where this was all headed, because suddenly... You know, Soviet republics were, were agitating for, for more liberty, uh, the Baltics certainly uh, amongst them. Uh, what were your conversations with, with Mr. Gorbachev like in those very tumultuous days as Glasnost and Perestroika really started to take hold and the ball started to roll? Well, I was there with him for four days in, I think it was November 1989, right after the Berlin Wall fell. And that, of course, brought new pressures on him from, for the liberation of Eastern Europe. And so he had um, he had a lot of challenges uh, because he had a Moscow had a tenuous hold on the republics the, that made up the Soviet Union at the time. Uh, all of a sudden, there were fifteen of them that started to make uh, moves and started to talk about uh, separation and uh, independence for them. In fact, uh, along those lines, uh, when Ukraine. Uh, with whom Canada had a special relationship because we have 1.4 million Ukrainians in the in the diaspora here in in Canada, the largest in the world outside of Russia itself. Uh, and uh, the, you, you may remember that uh, I think it was 91, the uh, Ukrainians voted for independence in a referendum, mm-hmm. and uh, Gorbachev asked me not to recommend not to recognize them. Because he feared uh, that if uh, we rec- if an industrialized country, a G7 country like Canada, recognized them, that that would hasten the disintegration of the Soviet Union. And he was right on that. But I said, look, Mikhail, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Uh, the Ukrainians have been pushing for freedom for centuries. And Canada is going to be, and we have a large population here, and we're going to honor their their position and recognize them. And so uh, we did. And uh, Gorbachev was very unhappy about that. But it was, uh, you know, my interest was our national interest 
I tried to cooperate with him as much as I could, and we did. We, you know, we were friends and good friends, and we worked together in many areas and had some great relations. But uh, as the end approached, uh, it was it was bitter, very sweet for him. You remember the the putsch, the attempted putsch in '91 when he was in Sochi. That's I right. spoke to him while he was there. I spoke to him. And he called me as well. Uh, but then when he got back to Moscow and uh, Yeltsin had had come on the scene very prominently, it was the end of the ball game. I understand that he wrote you a letter before he resigned. What yes, he wrote me a letter the, the night he resigned, which was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day of 91, I believe. And uh, I had spoken with him earlier in the day. Uh, because the end was near for him, and I didn't know when 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 we first spoke that morning. Uh, but uh, before he resigned, he sent me a letter of, of uh, talking about how how sad he was to go because he was very pleased with his relationship with Canada and with me, and he recognized that Canadians had tried to help him, tried to help uh, the Soviet economy modernize and get get fit for service. Uh, and so he stood down because he realized that um, uh, that uh, his his reforms and himself uh, were out of favor in the Soviet Union. And uh, but he is going to be remembered as an iconic figure because of two specific things. You know, first the, the enormity of the reforms that he undertook in the Soviet Union trying to democratize and modernize uh, a very uh, a, a very centralized communistic system that uh, that uh, couldn't organize a two-car funeral in terms of the economy and but also and principally because um, he um, participated in getting rid of the threat of nuclear war and and uh, ending the Cold War without a shot being fired. President Reagan gets a lot of credit for that, as he should, and I certainly give him a lot. But it takes two to tango. And Gorbachev was the indispensable man on the other side of this project, without whose leadership and support, uh, the end of the Cold War could never have ended. And so he he's an iconic figure as far as I'm concerned in history for those major things that he achieved. It is remarkable that so little, so few shots were fired, maybe Romania, I suppose, but in general, just how little bloodshed there was. You met him afterwards over the years you would, you would meet. Yeah. How did, how did he look back on those years? And, and and also just the the sort of, I mean, I was in Russia at one point doing stories. It wasn't that there was a disdain. He was sort of forgotten somehow in in a strange way. Well, when he ran for office, you know, there's a, there's a time and a place for everything. And when he tried to make a comeback, uh, you know, that was a mistake. And he got like a half of 1% of the vote. And he was very, very humiliated and saddened by that. But his repu- so his reputation in the Soviet Union was, was at a very low ebb because uh, his reforms had not yet produced prosperity. And there was a certain humiliation uh, among the... The right wing there uh, felt uh, that he had let them down in his relationships with the United States. 
But personally, I used to see him. I saw him in Houston and in New York and uh, Paris and uh, Montreal uh, and other places. He was on the international speaking tour, as was I. And so we'd, we'd, we'd meet each other from time to time and have lunch or dinner and chat about uh, the good old days. And he was very forthcoming and he was very chatty, uh, wistful. Uh, the transformation in his life and his attitude and so on occurred when uh, Raisa died. He, they had a marvelous marriage mm-hmm. and he was very dependent on her, both as, as an advisor and as a friend and, of course, as a wife and mother. And when she died, I believe in 1999, or when she died, uh, a lot of him died as well. And uh, but I have no doubt at all, uh, but that history is going to treat him extremely well uh, because of the giant steps that he took to bring peace and prosperity to the world. Before we go, I wanted to ask about today, about Russia now. You know, I was watching that Pizza Hut commercial that Gorbachev was in so famously back in the 90s. You know, there isn't a Pizza Hut in Russia anymore. You know, it's back behind an iron curtain of its own creation in some ways. I wonder what he would have made of all this, what you make of all of it. Well, I know what he would have made of it. He was was appalled by what what was taking place, and he was appalled by much of of, uh, Putin's leadership and achievements. when Putin came in, uh, Gorbachev uh, was friendly with him and attended his inauguration and would meet with him and counsel him. Uh, but after a period of time, and as Putin's behavior became more er- erratic and his ambition for swallowing up or recreating the Russian Empire became more and more evident, uh, Gorbachev was appalled by it all. And uh, and and uh, on on really on the outs as far as he was concerned. With Putin, he, he he felt quite properly that that uh, Putin's actions uh, were negating all he had tried to do to bring about a, a restored Soviet Union, uh, which was treated with admiration and respect around the world. Uh, and he, while he was there, he achieved that. He was highly regarded, as you know, around the world mm-hmm. as a brilliant leader. And a, and a highly accomplished man, and yet today, uh, the, the former Soviet Union, uh, but in particular Russia, is treated as an unworthy pariah, uh, and uh, that's starting to take place at home in Russia as well. So no, he was uh, he was appalled by what he saw going on, and uh, uh, and he he as I say he lived on in history because his trajectory was the exact opposite of what you see happening in Russia today. Do you have any one favorite fond memory of him that we may not know about, an incident, a moment, a comment, a conversation that you always remember him by? <laughs> well, uh, some years ago, Mila had, because I was a frustrated saloon singer, <laughs> Mila had had, uh, had uh, made me <laughs> record a, a CD for the grandchildren. And uh, Gorbachev had done a CD uh, for the favorite songs of his of Raisa, his wife. <laughs> and one day I told him that having heard his and mine, that Frank Sinatra could rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, he he loved to he loved to sing, and and he he did this recording of of her favorite song. He was a wonderful guy.
Brian Mulroney, thank you so much.